Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And we were just talking about how you can rely slash not rely on a laboratory to help you come up with a test strategy. This is based on a question. It was a, hey, I got a quick question for you. Um, you know, in, to paraphrase is that we were looking, and this is from Anita, and she's saying, we're, you know, we're looking to do some accelerated aging shelf life. Uh, testing. And do you know of any good uh, labs uh, or test houses? Would you, would, would you recommend to, to run this for us? Or to, and I, I got some more information when, when I went back and forth, but part of it was they wanted to say, Hey, we need to know if this will last. And they wanted to hand the whole project, the question to a lab and have them go run it. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I have not found a lab that would be able to answer that question um, with that kind of input. If you said, here's our product, here's our design, we, and it needs to last for two years under these conditions, can you tell us will it will or not? And most labs I've ever worked with would not have the capability to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of a scenario where that wouldn't be the case. And the only time I could think that would be... Um, not where a lab could actually do that for you is if you have a very simple system or a very uh, single component which that laboratory knows inside and out um like i don't know a specific diode for example and it might be an electronic component testing lab which just happens to know how that diode fails um over time but i sense you're going back you'll correct me if i'm wrong um well, this is where I'm going with it. I think you're going to the same place too, is that you need to know how it's going to fail before you can work out how it's going to age. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's part of it. If you have a, a product, for example, or a whole system, well, that makes it pretty vague is, well, I can throw right. it in a chamber and it'll be at 85C for a couple of hours. Is that good enough? I don't yeah. know. I don't know how it fails. Because you can only accelerate a failure mechanism. Yeah. And if you, the, your laboratory doesn't know what the dominant failure mechanisms are, they're going to take a guess at best. Yeah. It, <clears throat> I found, I mean, there, the, and to be fair, there's a whole range of test houses and, and laboratories out there that right. will, and some of them are nothing but chamber farms. They have a whole warehouse full right. of chambers and chamber spaces and different sizes and stuff. And you have to bring in your own measurement equipment, modern equipment and samples and any fixturing. They may have engineering staff to help you get that stuff set up and they'll monitor it for you. But I have not found labs with that kind of a mindset to design an accelerated test, do the calculations, and interpret it for you. They 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 just have too many products coming and going that they don't have that expertise in house. Unless unless you happen to get really lucky and find somebody that's good, really good at accelerated testing and then ask you all the right questions so they can design it. On the other, but even extreme, then, yeah, you got you got to have the answers to those questions. So if oh, you yeah. haven't done a FAMIA or a fault tree analysis or RCA or whatever, fishbone diagram, whatever it is for you to work out what those vital few are, 
your answers are going to be ill-informed. Yeah. Well, the other extreme is you go to a lab like CALS or DFR Solutions and say, hey, we need to understand if this will work. And they will put their folks and handful of grad students together and say, all right, we're going to go do a three-year study to figure out what are the failure mechanisms and how to Mm -hmm. quantify it. And then we can tell you. So it's, there's a couple of extremes on there, but I I think it's incumbent on a team to say, well, well, we need to answer to this question and they need to roll their sleeves up (laughs) and go do some more work before they go to the lab. Right. I mean, it, it, I mean, if you see a product or a, which has, let's just say, some sort of rubber, I like rubber as an example because mm-hmm. that's a really useful thing, a really easy thing to do accelerated live testing on. But really, uh, something, yeah, when it comes to temperature, you can really accelerate how rubber perishes over time. Well, but, and if it's uh, rubber's gasket on a petrochemical exposure to it then it's got all kinds of other chemical reactions besides just temperature. Oh, I, I know but you're uh, uh, rubber as in there's there's lots of other more simple applications for rubber i take your point yeah, when you've got yeah. chemical exposure to chemicals shark bite uh, for I've, example if you're on a you know <laughs> <laughs> okay. all right. oh, oh complete aside i almost forgot that i mentioned this to you we were chatting earlier is a friend of uh greg hutchins sent me a photo right of uh, Bondi Beach, which I think you know where it is. Bondi Beach. Bondi Beach. And yep. there's a, a stout-looking uh, officer of the peace standing there under this sign on, posted on this big board saying, um, no running without a helmet, fines will be applied. And then it had other official-looking stuff, including please log your, your jog before you head out so we know you're safe um, kind of thing. And... I mean, do they do stuff like that in Australia? Do they tell you to wear a helmet when you're running? Never heard of that one. Hey, I'll have to send you the picture of it because, you know, pictures absolute proof, you know. But no, it was actually, I looked, I saw an article. I, uh, Greg also sent me an article he found. It's a, a satirical artist, a, a couple of folks that are, are creating these, this, they take a picture and then they, Photoshop in the warning signs and it's to get after the nanny state of, 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 of right. Australia, parts of Australia. Uh, well, I, I, I used to, I used to be a surf lifesaver down at uh, Maribra beach. For those of you who know Sydney, well, it's a few beaches south of Bondi. Maribra is about the same size as Bondi and it's got, it's, it's a nice beach. It's not nearly as crowded. And I've done, I used to live at Maribra as well in Coogee. And so I used to run from Maribra beach up to Bondi beach and back quite often. Beautiful. Uh, Oceanside Trail, you yeah. go past beach after beach after beach, and I've never once done that with a helmet. Oh, you so. just big risk taker, you know. <laughs> I tell you, you just live dangerous. Yeah, and then it was posted on uh, next or on on uh, LinkedIn, and somebody said, "Well, this is crazy. Are they just bought, you know, uh, saying it's okay to go swim with the sharks, uh, but you can't run without a helmet? Or what's what's wrong with these people?" <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Greg right. was amazed that so many people thought it was real. And it, right, it yeah. turns out to be just a satirical um, uh, jab at the at the local constabulatory, looking at different ways to protect people. But um, right. mostly from the lockdowns, I think, is where it got its inspiration. Um, but anyway, complete aside. Um, but let's say you're going to go test a helmet, right? You yeah. A, or, or, a running something, helmet. Something rubber on yeah, a rubber, <laughs> a rubberized running helmet. Good old traditional running helmet. That's right. 
But the thing is, I mean, the design, it's not, it's, the rubber could have been designed to be so thick that even with acceleration or, or aging, it still might not be the weakest point of your system. Yeah. But a similar system, which also uses rubber, it might have been designed to be a bit thinner and just so happens now because it's thinner, that system over there, which has the same specifications, well, aging that rubber is now brutally imp important for mm -hmm. understanding how long it's going to last because that's now the weakest link. So you can't even just look at a system and say it has rubber, therefore accelerated life, accelerated life testing needs to be based on the rubber failure mechanism because you don't even know if that's the dominant failure mechanism for the way that thing is designed. It was, I mean, I, the question that would come to my mind with that scenario you just painted leads to, is it UV exposure that's causing it to, to uh, mm -hmm. lose its tensile strength? Is it compression strength that it's uh, affected by the chemicals that are around it or the atmosphere that's around it? Is it uh, a, a stretch or is it cycling or cyclic in its uh, use and the, then it has micro tears and shreds that way. It It's just that most any material has many ways it can fail and those require different approaches to excite them. And just knowing that besides the design, the design intent is another key piece to it. Well, I don't know if we have a, an Ascendo policy on trying not to, you know, be too provocative to greet listeners who, who ask questions but it just sounds to me like this is an organization that wants to outsource critical thinking well, which i've I, never seen go well yeah no and that i understand organizations are busy they got a lot on their plate there's lots going on and oh yeah we need to do a shelf life we we have to show and i have no idea if this is a medical product or not uh, right. We need to show that it can sit on the shelf for two years and, and it's fine. And mm -hmm. when a product is in a shelf, if it's controlled, you would expect very little uh, uh, aging mm -hmm. that that temperature would excite, except for diffusion and gravity and corrosion <laughs> and all these other mm -hmm. things that can apply, um, even when it's just sitting there. Uh right. But the the idea of, well, is there a place I can outsource this? So there is a scenario where I think that works. Let's say you have a regulatory requirement that says you have to uh -huh. run ASTM standard, blah, 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 or IAC standards, such a, you have to run this test. And even though it doesn't really make any sense and nobody knows how to interpret it, you got to run this test. There are test uh -huh. labs that that's what they do. They run yeah. that, la they're certified to run those standard tests in a way that the standards bodies and other people recognize that they they did it to the standard. And in those mm -hmm. cases, yeah, outsource that. It, you know, yeah, because the object is to pass a test. It's not to gain useful insight about making something more reliable. Right. Now, if, if the other hand is, it's a, a customer says, will it last two years? And yeah, you got to do some critical thinking. You got to figure out well, how would I, I'm thinking of the reliability case where you say, well, here's what we know about it. Here's the dominant failure mechanism. If it's sitting here, we, we expect this, this, and this to be the life limiting elements of it. We're going to cite it, excite it this way because it's relevant to the failure mechanism. At that point, then you can hand it off to a lab to go run it or a chamber facility to, to, to run it. But you still have to be pretty active involved with that. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it, 
I agree with you that the critical thinking part is almost always required if it's not just running a rote standard test. And my opinion of rote standard tests, by and large, are um, if you have to do it, you got to do it. But just hold your nose and look the other way. <laughs> well, well, don't expect anything useful to come back. I mean, that that's not true. Actually, there are some there are some like well-known aircraft components, for example, that we know they're simple. We know they're the the mechanics inside and out and we do have some pretty good regulatory qualification tests where mm -hmm. if that component is able to withstand these stresses it's almost certainly going to last the lifespan of that product yeah. or that aircraft i should say there are right. examples like that um but if you're developing your own system or something you've designed or it's not you know it's quite different and unique it's going to have different and unique weak points and until you know those weak points you're just wasting your time testing if the aim is to try and work out what that means in terms of a typical time to failure yeah now there's a whole another aspect to this question we hadn't touched on yet though chris it's the where's this it, it mentions it's the aging shelf life type test well which right. where's the shelf located what's this environment <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah uh, if it's in a uh you know a, a, a um container on the back of a ship someplace or it's on the container in the Arizona desert, it's going to be a whole lot different environment than, you know, in the hospital storage room. Even those can be right. pretty variable. Look at fire extinguishers. You, you might have the same model fire extinguisher on a boat or an Arctic cabin or yep. you think you, you throw more examples, but <laughs> they're yeah. very different scenarios. Um, and fire extinguishers, to be fair, are pretty damn good these days because we know the technology inside and out. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I guess that's the point you were just making, though, is that, you know, is this a novel new thing that maybe you don't really know how it's going to fail? And I mean, then it's a whole lot more work to really answer the question well. Or is it a, a well known technology that you got tons of information on and you could zero it in pretty quick? It could be straightforward not simple but straightforward um i did run into one team they they really didn't have a good way to accelerate it that made sense um and most of that was based on that not, not knowing which of the many potential mechanisms would really apply so they yep. just put it on the shelf for two years they invested in just let's put a bunch of samples up and we'll pull them out and do and it was a destructive test to see if they survived or not it was a um say like an, a reagent that goes into some process for counting blood cells i think it was something like that and right. was it still effective and so they set up i don't know how many hundreds of samples and every three months they pulled out a batch of them and tested them and looked for any signs of degradation and that's a brute force way. If you got two years to to wait, that's the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Just don't change anything in those two years that you have to redo the test. But it's also an insurance policy because even if you, I mean, most most listeners would say that's great, but my company's not going to wait two years before we launch. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't hurt to have products on the shelf, so to speak. So while your customers are using it. If you're actively looking into how your things behave on the shelf, well, bad news doesn't get better with age. So if you can find out about a problem before your customers find out about a problem, well, you're already ahead of the game. You're already it's it still sucks. It's still an unpleasant situation. But that time to to 
preemptively do something about it. Perhaps you can say, hey, customers, please check this. We've noticed there might be an issue if this washer looks yep. slightly purple, then it means this. And But you can start a conversation about getting ahead of the curve as opposed to having angry customers who yell at you before they never buy a product from you again. Yeah, um, yeah. that's true. Yeah, it, it, And that depends on the industry. Some industries won't let you go to market. I think in medical products right. without answering is, those kind of uh, questions. Which I get. <laughs> yeah. In some others, you know, it might be Walmart. It says, well, we don't want it on our shelf for two years. So we don't really care about shelf life. <laughs> you know? Right. We just want to move it, get it out of here. Um, yeah. No, there's, there's, but I found, you know, each lab, each test facility, has usually they have some kind of specialty that they go after. They might have some unique assets or equipment. And some right. labs, the better ones I find, have a good failure analysis facility and people that can help you analyze failures and understand what they mean and what's causing them and such. Um, the high end, the very high end labs are like Exponent or DFR Solutions that have whole raft of very smart people and they'll customize pretty much anything for you, you know, and yep. do detailed research to make it all work. Um, yeah. you, you pay for it uh, right off the bat. And some people go straight to those folks to say, all right, we're, we've got a year, we need to get the right answer. And but the pro problem with that is, and I'm not even having a go at the calluses of the world because they, they provide a service, mm -hmm. but if you are getting someone to do exploratory testing to work out how your thing can fail, you've already lost the benefit of the corporate knowledge that sits in those people's brains who design the thing in the first place. Because just do a basic familiar or fault tree analysis or fishbone diagram at the very start. So, all right, you guys know how to design it. You know how to make Therefore, you should have a good idea of the likely ways it can fail. And, you know, nine times out of ten, if you think about it at the very start, uh, this will degrade if it gets if humidity gets in here. Oh, okay, well, you can do an accelerated aging test, you know, three years later to work out how fast the humidity is going to accelerate that failure mechanism. Or you could put a cheap waterproof membrane over the top of it in your first design. Yeah. And, and just eliminate. We don't have this conversation. You know, yeah, yeah, minimize it. Yeah, right from the card, or use a different right. material or whatever. Yeah, right, exactly. All of a sudden, you've made a, a design change, which could either be free or maybe cost one cent per per product or unit or what have you. Uh, my point is, is, usually these design changes when they're put in before you start designing anything significant, it's pretty almost expensive. free. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, maybe the hour discussion it took to figure out that you had a problem there. You know, that's about it. Well, but would you rather have an accelerated live test using humidity because you worked out this thing's going to, the weakest point of your system is going to fail due to humidity exposure? You want to have that accelerated live test three years from now? Or do you just want to have it designed out of your system? Yeah. <laughs> I know which one I'd want. Yeah, same. Um, no, but it also goes to the extreme is the, um, I use Dilbert as the example. It's like, well, if your if your product fails due to solar uh, UV radiation, UV exposure, and you can either put a lot of sunscreen on it or just don't put it outside. <laughs> yeah, but put right. the warning label not to be used outside, um, even right. though it's a portable umbrella. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's an umbrella. No, it's... Yeah, a sunshade. Oh, a sunshade. Don't use outside. Um, right. Uh, yeah, there's, I mean, and, but then. There's labs that um, 
it's a partnership. They have certain skills and capabilities and assets and insights. And when you're talking to the different labs and interviewing them is what are they good at? What do you need to bring to the table? How can you partner to make this work? So you get to the answer you want. And that's the general guide I have of working with labs, work with the labs that fit well with what you know and don't know and what they know and don't know and that you get to a solution. And most labs are willing to chat with you about, here's what we can do and here's what we're good at. And here's, you know, here's how we can help you. Have you thought about this, thought about this and other labs will bring your samples down, throw them in the chamber. We'll, we'll try not to burn the building down while they're here. Well, it's a world of difference going to a lab saying, here's my brand new prototype. Can you do accelerated aging on it? Um, We don't know how it's going to fall over to you, Blue Leader. Or you do that and have the same conversation. Say, look, we're most, the things that keep us up at night are these five components. This one over here, we're just concerned about service conductivity when the humidity increases and this is this and this and this. And all of a sudden, a good laboratory, a good lab will be able to say, oh, okay, well, if you're concerned about humidity for that, then we can look at doing test X, Y, Z. And then you have that conversation I think you're talking about. Yep. But you just can't turn up just going, well, Oh, here's what one sample. You can you tell me? <laughs> That's my yeah. favorite. Here's here's right. a sample. Uh, we need to know if it'll last forty years. Can help us out here, and it's a, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, but the, but you can't outsource critical thinking, or you can. You just won't have a good can. result. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we've critically thought about this one for a little bit, and hopefully, it helped out Anita a little bit. I gave her a few answers, but not all the ones we talked about. So I'll have to. Uh-huh. follow up my message and, and uh, get her a little bit better answer. Um, and so if you've got questions, this, these were, this was one today and our last episode was uh, in, initiated based on another person's question. So it, um, we'd like to keep that trend going. So if you've got a question or an idea or a topic that you'd like us to chat about, fire it off, send it on over. And um, uh we enjoy it. And there's plenty of ways for you to get in touch with us over at ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. There's a couple of ways to leave a message for us. Chris and I and the other hosts are available through LinkedIn, which seems to be a popular way to get in touch with us and, or on our about pages, you can send us a direct email and, or, con, or comment form. There's a whole bunch of ways to get in touch with each of us. Uh, but yeah, we'd like to build this up a bit. We're, we're th- what we're at over 750 episodes on our way to a thousand. So we just need 250 more questions and then we'll be hit that milestone. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be in good shape. I think we've got at least 250 more questions. Yeah. At least there's, they're out there. And either that we've got plenty of questions ourselves that we can fill in as going, but we enjoy hearing from you. We hear, uh, like to get you an answer, keep you moving, uh, keep learning. And I find that the best way to do that is ask a question and get some insights that, uh, every time we do this, Chris, I learn something. So I enjoy it. Our discussions on these tiny topics. Me too. It's all good stuff. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one. Absolutely. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.